One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today, I have a very special guest on my Friday with friends, my dear friend, fellow yoga instructor and physical therapist, Kristen Williams. Woo! Kristen's been on the podcast before and she has an amazing therapeutic series on the Lit Daily. So make sure you check that out at movementbylaura.com. But welcome, Kristen. Thank you very much. We had this fun weekend. I really like wish we could go back to that because it was so fun. We had a girls weekend Mm -hmm. where we were at a PT conference all day Friday, all day Saturday. And it was just amazing just to kind of get out of, you know, regular routine, go to Philly, get into that educational mode, which we both love. Yes. And spend it with you. And we were talking that like it was such a great conference. It was I've been to it before. It's the lower extremity um, conference that's done with a lot of the UPenn doctors and PTs. So there was so much we learned. What would you say? Like, what was your? What were some big take home for take homes for you? One of the things that was a big take home was talking about gluteus medius um, as the supraspinatus of the hip. And so, as you know, and I'll just inform your audience that the. The hip and the shoulder are both our ball and socket joints of the body. And so if you've ever heard of rotator cuff impingement, they're usually talking about the supraspinatus, which is the muscle that's on the top part of your scapula, your shoulder blade, and it, it acts to abduct and lift the shoulder, the humerus, um, with a little bit of rotation involved. So, uh, And then the gluteus medius is also a rotator of the hip. and we treat it day in and day out in the clinic, but to think of it in terms of, yes, same thing, action, abducting the hip or the femur in the hip joint, how it's oftentimes implicated with dysfunction, 
in the same way that supersponatus is. That just was, for some reason, a little bit of an aha moment for me. How about you? I agree with that because I, like we were talking about, I think of the rotators of the hip, like the rotators of the rotator cuff of the shoulder. And so I've thought of the glute medius definitely being a stabilizer of the of the femoral head through weight bearing, just like part, the rotator cuff stabilizes, you know, it's cuffing. But I hadn't thought of the supraspinatus being analogous to the glute medius. So I thought that was, I also agree, that was super cool. And that glute medius is often gets like tendinosis, tendinopathy in the same way supraspinatus does. Yeah. Do you see that in the clinic a lot? All the time. And what uh, would you say is the biggest contributor to that? Oh, that's a good question. Oftentimes it's a weak core, mm-hmm. um, weak, weak hips, weak endurance of the hips, and then limited mobility of the hips. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it is one of those places that a patient will say, how did you know where it hurt? And it's because everyone hurts there. Mm-hmm. It's a spot that you can go to and it, they light up and we work on it. I have a lot of patients use balls mm-hmm. to um, In the do their own belly tissue. Of the glute, yeah. Yep. And I guess thinking of it in terms of, yes, I always think of it in terms of a, of a stabilizer. And so where it is different from the shoulder is the hip is 90% of the time closed chain and, and the, the shoulder is open chain. That changes mainly in yoga. So that's where my mindset kind of flipped where it's like, wow, a lot of the times the hip is open chain in yoga, half moon, mm-hmm. airplane, um, yeah. the lifted hip. right? But um, And then the shoulder becomes weight-bearing which you don't traditionally do. Mm-hmm. Especially as we get older, we never get on our hands. So seeing, thinking of it in those terms and then, you know, how we can treat that with our practice. Yeah. And so what would you recommend? Because I'm about to launch into some questions that people have sent us as the two PTs, two PTs on a podcast. And one of them was about gluteus medius tendinosis. What, what would you say would be if somebody was feeling this in yoga practice. First of all, where would they experience this? Because some people confuse, I think, that with IT band yeah. syndrome because they're very they run pretty close together. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the kind of cardinal sign of a glute med uh, tendinopathy or tendinosis? That's a good question because a lot of people will come in with a diagnosis of greater trochanteric bursitis. That's mm-hmm. more of the um, blanket diagnosis that we get or hip pain. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, they will have pain right where, if you put your hand on the side of your body, that the bony part that sticks out that feels like the ball, that's actually the, the neck of the femur, right where it turns into the head. And there's a bony prominence called your greater trochanter. And that is where the glute med attaches. So they oftentimes have pain there, tenderness to touch. It can go all the way up towards the crest of the pelvis, which is where when you put your hand on your let's say on your hip, when you're talking to somebody, that's the crest of your pelvis. And so if you were to put the base of your palm right on that bone that sticks out and then spread your hand up to the crest of the pelvis, that is your gluteus medius. And so the pain can be anywhere in that distribution of the hand. If you make a fist in that same position, that's your gluteus minimus, which is right underneath the glute med. Um, so we typically are treating both of those. And then with the IT band confusion issue is the tensor fasciolata, which is just a little bit more anterior or towards the front of the body, towards the frontal hip point. So they can have pain in any of those regions 
typically. Um, but what we will find as physical therapists is you get them on their side with that hip up and then you just stick your thumb right in that spot and they light up and it feels like a band. I call it a road bump. It's like a, those road humps that you go over when you're driving. And it's just, you can strum it like a guitar string. And so working soft tissue is probably where I go with that first mm-hmm. and then going into exercise. And do you think that like in the standing, um, one-legged standing positions, when people kind of sag over into the standing leg, they're leaning possibly into the tendon. I mean, the IT band, yes, a little bit lower, but yeah. the tendon as well is kind of catching them. And that's not that's not its job is to exactly. hold you. you the, the, the meat of the muscle is supposed to be holding the femoral head in place. Is Do you yeah. find that it's that, like that sag? So if somebody in yoga was doing it, they really have to be careful to not lean into that. Yeah. So if you think tree pose, you know, are they, my cues in tree are to externally rotate that standing leg, but then extend, excuse me, externally rotate the lifted leg, but extend the standing leg. And usually what I see when patients, clients do that is they level out their pelvis by getting their glutes involved. Because once you get the glute max on, I think the glute med jumps in Mm -hmm. where it might not have before. But the biggest thing I see, and I think you will agree with this, is we see it more in airplane when they cannot drop that side of the, the the lifted side of the pelvis down because of restriction in the gluteus medius, the posterior capsule of the hip. I'm on the standing on, leg. The standing leg. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people just yeah feel like they lift it up and they if because if they bring it down, they also they just don't have that. They don't have the stability because it's weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my husband on that, you know, he's been struggling for a while now with hips. And I finally He's super strong, you know, to yeah, him, obviously. Yeah. But um, and I've been harping all the time. I'll come over, give him manual cues, give him verbal cues. He does not pay attention. So I finally <laughs> said, All right, buddy, you're gonna be doing some sideline leg lifts against a wall. And he's like, What? So hard for yeah. you to really truly utilize that gluteus medius. Mm-hmm. It is straight plain abduction, if not with a li- abduction meaning coming away from the body, if not with a little bit of extension to really get into that. Yeah. And um, yeah. like he's if you're lying so side, weak I there. Know. And so he makes it easier on himself in an airplane by lifting the lifted leg up. So you're relying less, I think, on your rotator of the standing leg. I know because I my I mean I'm very it, my my dominant side is actually my weaker side. Mm-hmm. Like my right side, it just wants to just collapse, and I think it's because it's it's just more jelly-like. It's just like, it's just like, come on. It, it's used to, that's the side I would hang out in if I was standing. Yeah. If I were to hold, back in the day when I'm holding a baby, it's like that Always side that I would side. jut out and it doesn't know very well. So I have to give a lot of like tactile cues because mm-hmm. it will just, to this day, still want to just swing. On. So it's that feeling of the, and when you're standing, like Kristen was saying, an airplane or warrior three, if you were standing on your right leg, it's the feeling of just like everything would be shifting over to the right and in a way that you're precarious and not able to hold it. And what you can do is actually put your fingers right in the glute med um, and just kind of like try and turn it on or put one hand on your thigh and make sure that it's not dropping inter- into internal rotation to sag out. Yeah. Yeah. Or put your hands on your hips and that's a good cue as to where your pelvis is in space. Because mm-hmm. people won't realize it. Um, Mirrors are nice in the PT clinic, yeah. bringing people over to the mirror. We have, a, it's a really nice setup. We have big uh, wall of mirrors and we have a ballet bar right in front of them. So I will have people do hip openers and half moon stance is what I call it, to where basically they're transitioning between 
or through your airplane into half moon. Ooh, this is bringing up a good question. (laughs) So with the holding on with the bar, if they need it for balance, because a lot of people are super unstable doing that. And I constantly comment to our yoga classes, like you guys are so freaking awesome because to them, they're like, what? This is nothing. I'm like, no, you don't realize this is so much of something that you can do this and wobble a little bit. But for the most part, you've got some... 30 to 70 year old badasses. Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, in our studio. Yeah. Oh, because totally. they're used to the way we treat. Right. And I don't know what treat. Well, the way we yeah, treat. The way we teach. Educate. Yeah. <laughs> Educate. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, you brought up a question that somebody had written and then I did like an um, Instagram post on it because so many people have been taught in the yoga world that going from like a warrior three slash airplane to half moon is like a big no-no because that's going to be bad for your hips. And I always say like yoga, has, some of the cueing has just evolved when people know like a, like a degree of, of knowledge and then they apply it to all. Right. So yeah, that would be not a great idea if you were hanging out in your hip the way we're talking about because right. that would feel clunky. But if you are doing it, trying to spin the ball, the femur, and not let it drag over there, it's amazing for the glute max medius intersection. And it's yeah. so good and powerful. Working that closed chain rotation. Yes, that rotation. It's hard. Not, it's super hard. And I think that's, again, like just because it's hard it, doesn't mean you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But that's the, the hip is made to circle around like that. You yeah. know, it's, it's not like you have to face this way and going. Warrior one to warrior two, to me, is very different because you have both feet weight bearing and then you're turning. And so it feel that feels clunky because Absolutely. you don't have the same possibility because both feet are, you know, anchored. And so we don't do that because that just feels weird. It's not like it's dangerous per se. It's just not. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't allow the hips to actually turn in the way you'd like them to. But this is a great one. So try that, but you have to be, go really slowly. And I think there's a lot of good cues, but one is actually starting from the foot, the standing foot and dialing that out. So if you're standing on your left foot, you dial it out to the left to start that um, kind of torsion energetic um, movement up through the femur into the ball and that have that rotate as opposed to the right leg, the top leg doing the rotation. Yes. So that's actually, that's literally all those, that fine-tuned movement, so great for the glutes. And so a mirror is, is nice, especially mm-hmm. if you're starting off and never done it before. Yeah. Because a lot of times I think that's what we see in traditional yoga is like you said, a lot of hanging out versus building strength. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's what sets your method or the method I teach, which is your method apart. And I'll say that people, they'll be like, oh, you must be so flexible. You do yoga. I'm like, I don't do that kind of yoga. Right. I said, no, yeah. I, I, the type of yoga that I do and the type of yoga I teach is really focused more on strength and stability. The flexibility comes along with it. It's a more dynamic flexibility versus a static flexibility. Yeah. Um, it's functional, right? It's functional like, it's flexibility. Like, yeah. yeah, it really, really is true. So, well, I would, special. and it's, this is just made me think of something. I wonder the same people who say don't go from airplane to half moon, do they not go from plank to side plank? I wonder. That's, oh, yeah, right? Because the shoulder again the same spins thing. around. And your hip is a heck of a lot more stable yes. than your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, because side plank is. You know, it's, it's, I mean, these are powerful 
poses. And if it's done well, it's what a wonderful pose it is. But yeah, it's that same idea is like, are you keeping the ball centered essentially and, and spinning? Spinning. And are you keeping the uh, socket mm-hmm. stable? So for yeah. the hip, it's the pelvis. Yeah. For the shoulder, it's the scapula. Yes. And that's what we see yeah. mostly is I see way more bad side planks than I see bad half moons or um, airplanes. Yeah, I so, would say, oh, don't yeah. you think? Yes. I mean, it's so funny because I haven't, we don't, know, when, we don't much. see it in the studio, we, damage, yeah. but um, like when you see, like the ones I've seen that are not great are when the hand is way forward. And yeah. I've actually, I've known people who've taught like, you know, traveling yoga teachers who have a good amount of like visibility. This one guy in particular who teaches where the hand is not, the wrist is not under shoulder, but it's forward inside plank. Yeah. Purposely. And P.S. three people have been Maria Webb being one of them have yeah. torn part of the rotator cuff in that particular move. Yeah. And I thought, what, why would somebody like, it just makes no sense at all. Yeah. Like if you think about it logically, we, we know that like, I, I, but, um, so that would be one where that's the wrist is just putting, this is too far away. It's not under the shoulder. And so the shoulder is in this weird kind of, um, purgatory position. Yeah. And it's not able to, the, like, again, the capsule is anchor in. You can't anchor in. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the other one probably would be what? What's another one? Oh yeah, oh, oh, the, the drop dropping, the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the internal rotation, internal rotation, where I just drop. Yes, exactly. And just giving that little cue to the rotator cuff, mm-hmm. you know, to pull back, and then the lat. I think too has to turn on to pull down. Yeah, I think the um, lat has to be in there because it's such a big, you know, it spans so much and it crosses over the scapula. So what we're talking about, if you're imagining going into side plank, is the wrist is under your shoulder, and then that that. If you were to t- somebody were to take a picture, the the ball of your shoulder would be centered. It wouldn't be dropped down toward the floor, and the reason it can stay in that position is because you're energetically pulling the hand toward the foot to get the scapula on the back ribs. I mean, the scapula is like a little platform, yeah. and we should utilize that more and more. It is there. It's such a great, um, my goodness, the human body. It's so incredible to have that scapula there, and and this is like what we were talking about the scapular weakness is is profound. It really is. And it's profound, um, not, not only in the yoga population, but in the patient population. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's where, you know, I'll see it when I'll have someone come in. Who These people, I have men who go to the gym at, for years and they're strong. And then you put them in a side plank and it's like a wobbly, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. like I can't, yeah. it's like, whoa. Yeah. And that's scapular stability. Um, and one of my favorite things about teaching yoga is getting the people to think in terms of movement through their scapula. Mm-hmm. So um, this this week, I both of my Tuesday and Thursday classes, Tuesday and Thursday, I did like a down dog to plank type. Changing down dog to plank from basically being two saggy poses, I think that was one of the questions talking about down dog, Yeah, but to becoming... Going from down dog to plank should be a ton of lat lat contraction where mm-hmm. you are literally drawing, you're depressing your scapula. Mm-hmm. And that's what pulls you forward because that pull your the lat engages and pulls the arm bone towards the body, which pulls you forward. Mm-hmm. And then that also keeps your chest nice and open and um, pulls the scapula right on the pulls back. The scapula ribs, right on the yeah. back. And then going back to down dog. You don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that. <laughs> yeah. And then you lift up in the belly, you know, so it's more of a core and just doing that in repetition and doing it in the pre-
pre-flow. What do you call that now? The reset. The yeah, reset. I know. Um, you know, introducing it there and then in the sequences in the stream, reinforcing it. Yeah. Uh, oh, people love that. So well, it's good. like feeling muscles that are, you know, often not tapped into. In right. And all life. of a sudden they go, well, this is really hard. Good. Yes. Down dog is not a resting pose and it's not and, a saggy pose. So when somebody, yeah. did, somebody, so somebody did write how to avoid down dog, how to modify down dog to avoid pinching from shoulder impingement. What would you say? I mean, basically what you're just saying now. Yeah. You know, definitely um, broadening across the upper back mm-hmm. uh, and then depressing the scapula. Cause you know, if you depress that scapula, you're really kicking on the lat, which is, I call it depressing the shoulder blade, but you're really depressing the humeral head. So the mm-hmm. humeral head slides down away from the top of the scapula where it gets pinched. And then sometimes if you have shoulder impingement, then you certainly do not want to be pushing your chest back towards your thighs. So your down dog might not look like the person on Instagram with Mm-mm. super bendy shoulders. Yeah. We don't want to look like that anyway. Mm-mm. Your down dog, you may only have let's say 160 degrees of shoulder flexion. 180 degrees is full range of motion. How often do I see that in my patient population? 10% of the time, maybe, do I see someone with true full shoulder range of motion. We're tight there, people. Mm-hmm. We aren't. How often in your daily life are your arms straight up over your head? Never. No. So and we it, lose people, that latissimus, yeah. that lat flexibility. We lose the scapular mobility. So then you come to a yoga class and someone is pushing your chest towards your thighs. That's egregious. Don't ever do that in down Don't dog. Don't ever do that. No. You know, if anything, pull them out of it. You yeah. Know, broaden across the upper back. Come come away from your thighs. Bend your knees. Yeah. <laughs> like me, I'm the tight hamstring yeah. girl. So yeah. I bend my knees. I think um, everybody should bend their knees because when you straighten the knees, it, it kind of signals the pelvis to tip one way or another. Yeah. I was seeing it today in class and I finally... <laughs> I've, sometimes I say things and I'm sure you're the same way. I say it um, like so many different ways. And finally, I just had everybody stop. And I was like, okay, we're going to hinge at the hips and you're going to bend your knees because I want you to keep your spine long yeah. because your your hips are made to do this many trillions of times. Yeah. Your back is not going to enjoy it after a while because so many, you know, I had a few people who really straighten the knees and do that swan divey yeah. thing. And yeah. I'm just like, I can't watch it anymore. No, no. <laughs> I just and- can't. And in that, it's funny you say that because we do, we say it time and time again. And then you have a private with that person. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe you've never said this. And I'm like, what? Yes, I know. We say it all the time. Right? But, bend your knees. But it's just, yeah. Sometimes it's like, you need to get that hands on, like you said, mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. Like stop Let's everybody. Let's do it. Yeah. Stop everybody. Let's do it. Let's bend the knees. Because yeah, our lumbar spine, if, if you're, if you're going to look at the body, the muscles, Think of your back extensor muscles as braiding up the spine. So you've got these little bitty muscles that braid up segment to segment. So if you have a muscle that's the size of a Tootsie Roll, compare that to the muscle the size of your butt or your hamstring for Pete's sake. Which one would you want to be lifting the weight of your trunk? It is not the Tootsie Roll. (laughs) Right? Right. I love that. So I have our clients. All right. I know you're going to feel weird, but put your hands on your butt. Yeah. And people look at me like, yeah, grab yeah. it. Yeah. Grab your butt. Now squeeze it and lift, lift up. up. I know. And then they're all like, oh, it's like, yeah, you didn't feel a thing in your back. You take your back out of it by using these big muscles. Like you said, the hip is meant to do that. Mm-hmm. It is meant, it has all this mobility. It is meant to flex, extend, rotate, ab, adduct, circumduct. 
That's why it has these massively large muscles that attach to it. I'm talking with my hands, which is funny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, um, our back isn't. Yeah. So don't use it like that. Yeah. I mean, there's pelvic floor muscles that are bigger than the muscles of the, of the spine. spine. So yeah. I, it's true, right? Yeah. They've had women squeeze it's all kinds of <laughs> what is it? Howard Stern used to have that. Okay. Um, I, so we got some more questions. This is fun. So this was a good one. Um, they're all great, but this is what we haven't talked about. Talk about sacral torsion. This is from Vorbs S. Does the SI joint really move all that much in asymmetrical poses? I think um, the alarm bells go off a lot in the yoga world about the SI joint. And there's so again, there's a little bit of truth. But I think that it's a little bit alarmist. What is what is your take on it? So that's interesting because my the first training that I went to post PT school was I went up to Michigan State with their fantastic College of Osteopathy, Osteopathic Medicine. I was trained with PTs, D, uh, MDs, and DOs in muscle energy slash. It's a type of. Um, diagnostic method where it is was, and it may not be anymore. I haven't been there. This is almost 20 years ago, right? Um, heavily, heavily rooted in the idea of sacral torsions. And so I would diagnose a patient having a posterior sacral torsion on the left with an anteriorly rotated anominate. That's your pelvic bone, the little um, like wing of the pelvis. And then treat based on what I found. And even then, I remember them saying, it's very debatable, does the SI joint move? How much movement is there? I mean, I've been trained that there's an upslip, there's a downslip, there's all of these different um, diagnostic measures. Do they exist? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I really don't. But do I think people have muscle imbalances, posture imbalances, joint mobility, meaning hip that's attached to the pelvis, which is part of the SI SI joint, which is attached to the lumbar spine. So you could have hip immobility. You could have um, quadratus lumborum uh, inflexibility um, that give that appearance of a torsion. Yes. Is it a torsion? You could argue that it is. I feel like I'm dancing around this topic. The beauty of that idea is no matter what, the way we treat is through muscle action. Mm-hmm. So I can come in and I can quote unquote adjust a patient. I can, and I do. I do spinal manipulation, through neck, thoracic, quote unquote SI, um, lumbar spine. But I'm always following it up with concurrent exercise to then treat the impairment. Um, so is there torsion? I think there is, I personally think there is functional torsion, meaning something is twisted because there's an asymmetry. Um, I totally, I I totally agree with that. I I was treated, I, my, one of my clinical settings was also the same way. We'd put our hands under and like, I'm sure it was the same thing, like this muscle energy, the SI joint on one side would, you would feel like, and, and, and I remember thinking like, it seems like one side is is tighter and that yeah. that's or more restricted and that's pulling the bone but it's not like you know and so again yeah you treat the soft tissue because that's going to ultimately affect the placement of yeah the joint 
Well, and so when you think about if I'm treating a rotated anomenate, meaning the pelvis rotation, what am I doing? I'm doing exercises, my or really it's isometrics, mm-hmm. where the patient is contracting either their hello hamstring, mm-hmm. the big muscle in front, <laughs> or their rectus femoris slash psoas, the big muscle, excuse me, the yeah. hamstring, big, big, big muscle in back versus the quad in the front to where do they attach the pelvis to rotate it forward or back. You know, so I think most of our treatment of these torsions comes by way of neuromuscular re-education of the muscles that are dysfunctional. Yeah. Was that the question? Yeah, that was it. And I think, I think, well, that, let me see what she wrote, but I think that's, it's interesting the people that will have that. I think she was wondering, like, she was Talk, thinking, like, does, is the SI joint really move all that much? In it? No, the SI joint does not move that much. Yeah. Um, that we know. I mean, it is... It is a, bound down by very, very strong, yeah. the biggest ligaments in your body are yeah. what hold your SI joint together. Yeah. Because think about it. Think about what goes through that joint. You're weight-bearing. Yeah. Every step you take, you are... It is a shock absorber. It's a shock absorber. It is the, yeah. it is the most important shock absorber probably we have. So that's why when you're walking... And that does feel like something's a little bit off. It, you feel it with the the stance and stance, the load. Yeah, it will come up, and you'll feel that right in that area. Yeah, and it's just that some something is bound on that side. I think I've 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 I know I've had that before. And what I'll do is I'll just tighten my abdominals and work my glute, and then when I step, I feel like a lot less. And it's just like it's got that side has gotten like that's my saggy side. Yes, <laughs> the same thing. It's glute meat. It's all of that together, um, you know, if one area, so my glute meds weaker on that side, I'm hanging out more, it's going to pull on the posterior side as well, because those are all connected. So I think we have to remember too, that the SI joint is a ligamentous joint, uh, meaning it does, it doesn't move. It's like a, think of a tongue and groove joint of the floor. Um, So whenever you have movement at that joint, or it's often diagnosed as hypermobility, it's 99% of the time because you have hypomobility somewhere else or weakness. So like you said, what do you do? You tighten your core because you're stabilizing around the SI joint Mm -hmm. because it's getting yanked on. A lot of times what I see is my patients with those issues, they have have the weak hip, they have the tight hip. So if if my hip can't move, where am I going to try to move? From the next proximal joint, which is the SI joint, which is just ligaments. And so those are not well vascularized at all. Once you stretch them, they're stretched. Mm-hmm. And so you do become more unstable and then pain. Yeah. And it's usually yeah. lumbosacral junction, you it know, is. where yeah. the, because people are trying to move at the low back, but the low back and the sacrum, that area can feel very, um, I don't want to say it's destabilized, but yeah, it's that soreness is, is mm-hmm. essentially, it's bit, that's like the, the move, that's where you're moving from. And that's the stabilizer. Yep. You need to be moving from the hips. So yeah, we could talk about that for hours. But I think asymmetrical poses, for instance, I don't do a lot of the asymmetrical poses that you might be referring to because like say front splits and stuff like that, not so much of the SI joint, but just the whole pelvis, people will tend to try and create that opening from the front hamstring and the back um, hip flexor by doing something different. Well, and I think of triangle, like, um, I like triangle, Mm -hmm. but I'm very cognizant in my triangle of what's happening around. My butt is on, I am squeezing my glutes, I am suctioning my belly back. 
And you don't go super low because and I don't of the, go you're low not trying to hang no, in the hamstring. I don't have a hamstring. Yeah. yeah. So if if triangle bothers your SI joint, just bend your front knee. Yeah. It'll be a game changer. Exactly. Okay. So how about up? This was when we were talking about Ginny Platts wrote the optimal position for feet in yoga, parallel or di- diagonal. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And maybe explain what you think she means. So when I read that question, immediately came to mind. Um, warrior two and half moon and maybe even goddess. Mm. So um, I have a lot of patients turned yoga clients who, because I've worked with them, I know that they really, they just weren't born. They aren't built to have great hip external rotation. You're not going to have it. It's not going to come. It's a certain angle of your femur, your femoral head. Um, So Traditionally, we're told in a warrior two, the feet should be perpendicular to one another. So the front foot perpendicular to the front of your mat, the back foot parallel to the front of your mat, the back of your mat. And those people, I look at them and what's happening because they don't have the hip external rotation, they are immediately rotating into the knee, meaning that the knee drops tibia, in. The yeah. knee drops in. They get this funky pull on the medial side of the knee joint. Um, which is a real problem with ACL injuries, medial collateral ligament irritation. So my answer to that is, is that the proper position for them? Absolutely not. So if you feel that, um, and the same thing is for um, half moon. Some people, they go into half moon and then they try to stack that hip and the knee juts inward. Turn that standing leg or in half moon or the front leg in warrior two, it can be 10 degrees, mm-hmm. 10 degrees inward, meaning towards your um, the front body, not towards the back body. So you're internally rotating at the entire lower extremity because that's going to keep your knee tracking over your foot. Same thing with goddess pose. Um, whenever we do goddess slash um squat pulse. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly knee track, look down at your knees. The knee should track right over the feet. If they are dropping inward, just honor your body. Hey, yeah. I don't, there's a dancer next to you who has this crazy hypermobility in the hips. There's not a right or wrong way to do yoga. Yeah. I don't think. No, not no, a not single pose is, I don't think you could look at a single pose and say, this is the only way to do it. Yeah. And that is the problem that we see. Yeah. Teachers are taught specific cues that Mm -hmm. they then give to a blanket audience. It's very cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. And so then the yoga student thinks I need to do it that way or I'm doing it wrong when in fact the way it's being taught is wrong for their body. So um, I think look at what's happening at your knee when it comes to foot placement because as PTs we joke and say the knees are really dumb joints. All they want to do is bend and straighten. Mm-hmm. When they start going side to side, something is wrong at either the foot or the hip or both. Mm-hmm. So make those adjustments there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know, like again, on my right side, my lazy side, my when I do half moon and I were and I don't look and I look down, sometimes getting into it, um, my foot will be turned in more. And I just know that feels right on that side because there's some tight, there's some restriction. And that that has been created probably because I was hanging out, which is what's funny is like sometimes when you're appearing to be loose, you're actually mobily restricted. Sure. You know, like hanging out in my right hip. I think it's because I'm actually, I'm my, I don't glide as well posteriorly on that side. Maybe so. So anyway, 
One more question for the brilliant Kristen Williams. We've got, let's see, we like, what are some ones we saw here? Oh, well, this was funny. Should we say what movements do you see from bodies on the street that make you cringe? Does that mean like, this is from Jen Lives Life. We see people on the street walking or doing something and what would make us cringe? Hmm. I see it more with runners. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, walkers... You would agree with me. I can yeah. pick someone's walk. I can pick someone's hip dysfunction out from across the room when they're walking. I always say that's like you know when when we're people are going through teacher training. One of the things I start saying is observe, observe, observe. I said all you got to do is be at a stoplight in town somewhere, and just watch people walk, and you will see like ninety nine percent people kind of flinging themselves <laughs> forward <laughs> with like no glutes. Yeah. Uh, and, and then of course running just, I think takes it to oh, a new level. it takes level. a whole new level. We can right. see it more. Right. Cause you're like basically controlled falling. So you can really not use your glutes. You could just basically kind of like project yourself through space. Everything in the front's getting super like contracted. And yeah. so anyway, so running, yeah. Running. That's when I cringe. Mm-hmm. When I see someone walking with poor gait, I'm like, oh, that sucks. But when I see someone running, I'm like, oh damn. You yeah. know, like that's oh, when, yeah. cause that's the, Yeah. That's where, you you know, people are pretty, the body's amazing. Usually when you see someone walking with an asymmetry, that's the body's way of compensating so they are able to function without pain. Is that ideal? Of course not. But it's when you see them running with a huge asymmetry that I want to step in and help. And there used to be a woman like on the way when I, when I've worked at PT in this rehab, it was like 15 minute drive. And I worked there for many years and I would go on this one road, this 206, and this woman would be running every single morning at the same time. So I would always see her. And there, I, I would have to like force myself to not stop after a while because she looked, it was like she was in agony. Yeah. But it, I, I wanted to say, what what are you doing? Like, yeah. why? Why? What are you doing? Like, there's an obsessiveness about it, but it's, yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, that was you know, 20 years ago. I don't even know what, what her joints were like now. Well, at the conference we were at, I loved the little running. Um, we had two little sessions on running. Yeah. So one was running injuries and one was, you know, watching people run and making s- small changes, which I've been doing for years just on common sense. Mm-hmm. But it does amaze me the number of even clinicians that don't use a phone. My God. I mean, yeah, the, the phone right. has been the greatest thing ever. They got slow-mo. I'll be like, all right, let's go. We're going to, it is such an eye opener. You put it on slow-mo and the, the patient's like, wow, because they're like, why is my right side hurting so much? Well, let's watch you run. And then all of a sudden you see this right side is just collapsing. That knee just in, drops the in. The knee collapses oh, yeah. in, the ankle collapses in, the hip collapses in. And so you make a small change either in their gait pattern Certainly in their strengthening and their exercises, but then they become aware of it. Yeah. And you can change your running pattern. I think I was talking to um, Greg, you changed something with the way he was running, talking about power, getting on the toes and things like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he was sore. He's like, I don't know if I should be grateful for this, Laura. This is Greg, (laughs) the cameraman. Because he was was flat-footed and I was like, you need to land more in the midfoot because, you know, you don't, you, that's, that's where you're going to generate the energy to return it. You're landing flat-footed. It's kind of like, and then you have yeah. to kind of play. So you're using more of that posterior chain. And yeah, he was like so sore. <laughs> the calves. I mean, so, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Right? So many people are weak in their calves. Super yeah. weak. Yeah, yes. super, super weak. Even though they're tight, they're weak. But yeah. So running is definitely one. Of course, we'll, we would both say people that are walking and looking at their phones, for goodness sakes, pick yeah. your head up, people. 
stop doing that. That should be illegal. Like just like, you know, <laughs> like texting and driving is yeah. one thing. Now it's like texting and walking. We're just going to give you the PT ticket. Like, oh, we've had uh, more pedestrian accidents in Princeton from people just, texting. I'm sure and, it's people or, are looking like, at their looking, phone, yeah. not paying attention to the car. That's yeah. and the person in the car is looking at their phone. It's a hot mess. It is, yeah. Um, and I think probably watching somebody like teeter around in bad shoes is is oh. always bothers me. <laughs> Um, I wish women would just give themselves a break and get out out of the heels, especially when they're teetering around. Again, you can get away with that when you're younger. I mean, you you feel it the next day, your foot kind of hurts. Try that in 20, 30 years, your entire body, you will feel and you will know why. And that's really, that's how it's actually, that the damage, for lack of a better word, but the, what it's doing to your body is what you will later feel. If you don't feel it the next day, but it's just we're we're not made to walk around in high heels, so no. it's it's that's hard to watch. Oh, it's really funny to watch though, too. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's funny. Like, yeah, like, I know. Well, see, yeah, my my daughter does this competitive cheer, and so it's hilarious to watch all the different cheer coaches from different gyms, and they're all glitzed up and they're sparkly, and then they've got on these four inch. But they're walking around in four inch heels all day at a wow at an arena. Mm-hmm. And it is like they are clomping along because you just can't do that. And it just it, it tickles me. I know. The only I thing giggle. I would say that one time that wearing high heels or any kind of, which I never wear, but we were out in New York and actually running in them because you get on your toes. Right. Because it pushed me. I was like, wow, I could run in high heels forever. It's <laughs> the only time you should wear right, them. Right, right. Well, <laughs> this was so fun. We could keep talking on and on. I'm sure people have lots of questions. If you have questions, please write me at Lara at movementbylara.com. Please check out Kristen. Her um, Instagram page is KB Williams. 99. 99. So K as in Kristen, B as in boy, Williams, 99. And then of course, check her out on the Lit Daily. She's got a whole therapeutic series and she's brilliant and she's beautiful. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Hugs to you guys. Always pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.